Welcome to Rock That Relationship, a podcast about all things relationship with Corey and Tracy. Now let's get real and start creating relationships that rock. Hello, and welcome to episode two of Rock That Relationship. Today, we are talking about watering the garden, watering the garden. Tracy, what do you think about when I say watering the garden? It doesn't sound like something related to relationships. So what do you think about? No, it doesn't. And what the thoughts that go on in my head might not be appropriate to share. Um, Why don't you let me know what that means, Corey? As far as relationships go. (laughs) Yes. Well, I mean, this is a term that I have used um, actually for many, many years, and some of you might be familiar with it. This idea about watering the garden is really the kinds of investment that you put into your relationship, whatever kind of relationship that is. You know, imagine yourself with a garden. I mean, if I imagine myself with a garden, I pretty much in real life kill everything in the garden, even cacti that need no no water or anything. But if you think about it, when you're planting and harvesting a garden, you need to make sure you water it enough to grow and thrive, but not too much to saturate it and basically kill all the plants in the garden. And when I think of watering the garden, I think of it as the balance that you have in a relationship by investing enough of yourself in it, but not not overdoing it to the point where you have suffocated the relationship and basically, in, in many ways, let it die. So, you know, why are we talking about this? Why is this one of the first episodes that we're really addressing? I I think for for me, what's most important about it is that you have to understand how you come in and how you show up in relationships before we can even talk about how you effectively engage in one and how you, you know, deal with any kind of conflict that might come up in one is really what is the way in which you show up to water the gardens in your life? Think about it. Are there friends that you haven't talked to in a really long time? And you think, wow, I should really invest in that friendship a little bit more. Maybe I'll reach out to them and see if they want to get together or talk, or maybe it's someone that, you know, you're over-investing in and you, to the detriment of other people in your life, you spend all your time with them, you spend all your energy on them. And next thing you know, you have lost, you know, a lot of other time and energy with other people. So really that's what watering the garden is about. So I'm going to ask you again, Tracy, now, when I say watering the garden, you can get those inappropriate thoughts out of your head. What, what comes to your mind about your personal ideas about watering the garden? Well, I'd say it's balance, right? I like to think of it in the way of balance, equilibrium, of self and relationship, right? And when you say overwatering, you're putting too much into that relationship. And that can mean to the detriment of that actual relationship. Are you, is that your sole focus? Is that the only thing that you're, you know, putting all of your energy into? That's never healthy. It's not healthy for anybody. Um, and underwatering, I've been, you know, I've done that before where I haven't put in the time, the effort that needed to be put in or honored you know, what the other person wanted out of that. And we can get into more specifics about that. You know, what does that mean? Is it the same for every relationship or is it, is it distinct per those two people? And again, as you know, I like to talk about communication. So that always comes in, right? How, what does that other person want? I think that's crucial. What do you want and what does the other person want? Right. And I think, I think you pointed out a really good, a good message here is this idea is, you know, really is this underwatering overwatering effect? Is it, 
isolated to maybe each relationship has its own equilibrium or is it a pattern, right? Do you find that when you show up to relationships, you, you overwater, that person becomes the center of your world. You give everything to them sometimes at the detriment of other things, or, you know, is it that underwatering where you might, you know, connect with somebody and then just sort of lose touch or maybe just stay friends with them on Facebook. Is it a pattern or is it really like what you're saying, dependent upon who that other person is in that relationship? So that's a really, really great point to think about. And as you think about yourself, you know, thinking about how do you show up? Is there a pattern to what you do too? I think is going to be an important component to consider. Well, and I think we have to consider both, right? So it is both scenarios. It's, are you over watering and underwatering this particular one? And are, is this something you're doing all the time? Is this like your yeah. way of relating in the world, which right. as we know, therapy can help with all of those things. <laughs> we'll get into that yes. more later. Well, you know, and, and two, it's, you know, when we think about this too, is it, it isn't always a static thing. It might be that you're underwatering the garden and this can happen, like say a friendship where you've lost touch with somebody for a year. And then all of a sudden you're, you think, oh my gosh, I need to reach out to so-and-so. And then you text them four times to try to see if they want to go out that week. And all of a sudden you're overwatering the garden. It's like, hello, I'm back in your life. Let's hang out all the time. And then you lose touch again for another year. And so these can, or you scare well. them off. Well, yeah, absolutely. Right. 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 Well, why don't we talk a little bit about what some of these things are that, that show up and when we underwater and we overwater the garden. So, you know, we talk about underwatering the garden. There's a, a few things that come to my mind. Um, I had a relationship. It was, um, it was, it started off great as you know, pretty much everybody's relationship does. And over time, I literally watched the garden die. And, um, and that was a, it was a slow death, but I always thought, you know, Hey, it, it's, not quite bad enough. I can just sit back on autopilot and let it die. But some of the things that really contributed to that relationship's demise was um, really this idea that we just stopped listening to each other's days, stopped taking interest in each other's lives. You know, the, how was your day? It was, you know, if the other person would respond with anything more than one sentence, the other person would sort of get bored and be like, well, okay, well just cut to the chase. Give me the highlight reel. Hmm. Whereas if you remember the beginning of relationships, you tell everybody, and then I got this email from this person and then I right. tied my shoe and, you know, but by the time you're, you're into a relationship, you're like, yeah, it was good. Had four right. meetings. Cool. We're good. And, and so I think, you know, for me, that was something that really created a disconnection. And I, and instead of saying, Hey, why don't we reconnect? Why don't we spend some time talking to each other and really going through some of the things that are important events through the day and make sure that we do that every day so that we stay connected to each other. We just didn't do that. And every day the sentences got shorter until we really weren't even talking to each other. Do you think that's because you guys were busy at work or do you think it was a personality issue? Do you think it was something that you hadn't seen from the beginning? Cause I don't see you that way. Right. Like in our friendship, you're not, you don't show up like that. And I mean, do you think that it was particular chemistry between the two of you? You know, that's a really good point. I mean, in some ways I think it was the chemistry in other ways, I think it was coming out of that honeymoon phase, right. Where you, you know, the person can do no wrong and you want to know every little thing about them. Um, it probably a little bit about being busy, but I, we go back to what we talked about in episode one that I think is so crucial is being intentional and, mm -hmm. you know, it, because you know that you're going to get busy, mm -hmm. you know, that you're going to drift out of the honeymoon stage, you know, these things are coming. So why not be intentional about saying like every day for 30 minutes from this time to this time, or before we go to bed, we're going to do a check-in. How was each other's day and being incredibly intentional? That was nothing we did by the time we realized that's what we needed 
you know, over a decade had gone by of almost not, you know, talking to each other in any meaningful way. Wow. That's a long time. Yeah. Well, and this kind of relates a little bit to, you know, quality time together. So, you know, Tracy, do you have an example too of something about maybe where you underwatered the garden too, when it came to, you know, giving time? Well, I was married. Okay. For eight years with somebody with children. And for me, you know, my ex wanted to do date night and I was coming from a very outdoorsy world. And then I moved to kind of a suburban lifestyle. And so date night was a thing and it was not a thing I'd ever done in my life before. It wasn't something that I understood and I really resisted it. I thought it was stupid to be honest. I just was like, you know, going out, we're going to spend all this money. We're going to spend this money on dinner. We're going to spend this money on a babysitter and really I'd rather just hang out with the kids. Right. Or if we're going to have that time off, I wanted to do something active. I wanted to go out and do it, like go hike something or go running or do something active. And so rather than, I guess, either me sucking it up or coming to a compromise, I just stopped I just resisted doing it or I make it such a pain in the ass that we didn't want to do it anymore. Um, I mean, we did it, but not as often as she would have liked, you know, like we probably got down to first once every two weeks and then once a month. And to this day, something like that isn't more important. It's not actually important to me. I like the daily thing to me. Like what is that holiday called? Valentine's day it can go suck it. I mean, that's once a year and you're supposed to lavish this person with love and praise. I'd rather do that every day. Now, is it going to be less time of the day? Yes. But you know, I think you have to talk to the other person though, and figure out what does it mean to them? Right? So it doesn't matter if I did it my way, if that person didn't care for that, or they wanted to get it, if they can only receive that watering in their way. And if you want to be with them, then you have to figure out how they want it and do it that way. Does that, does right, that seem right. harsh? Well, no, I mean, the thing is too, it's just, it's knowing your partner right, and knowing what brings them joy and what brings you joy. And so the, the best you know, alternative is to say, what can we do? Maybe it's every day we do something for a little while, we go on an evening walk, but once a month, we're going to go out on the town and, you know, doing something that we both really like doing. The whole point is, is you're going back to that idea of communication is, you know, how can you invest in the relationship through time, which both of you want, even if the way that you want that time is different. And, and that requires like a check-in, right? I mean, saying, Hey, how are we doing? Are you happy? Do you like this? I mean, I, I've never done this, but I've read about it or heard about it. People that say every day, Hey, I choose you, you know? I mean, Mm -hmm. I kind of did it in my last relationship. Um, That wasn't necessarily enough for that person, or I'm not sure exactly what happened in that last relationship. I haven't figured that out yet, but I did get up every day and say, I love you. I want to be with you. And I think that's really important, but then there has to be the next question. How are you doing? Do you, is there something else you need or want? Right, right. Exactly. Well, and I'll tell you too, from my experience, one of the things that came from all of this underwatering is, as you can imagine, right? I'm, I'm not really talking to my partner. She's not really talking to me. We were pretty much just logistical roommates. And, you know, as, as someone who's an, 
a self-identified and very proud extrovert. You know, I do value introverts. She was introverted, but my extroverted personality needed to be able to have someone to talk to all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And as you know, Tracy, you and I are both extroverts and talk on the phone 45 times a day about, you know, oh, I stopped at a stoplight when I was driving. You know, it's like, oh, I did too. And I mean, we we have to like check in all the time, but as an extrovert, I needed to be able to not just share about my day, but I needed to process. So sometimes I would want to process something and, you know, my partner wasn't really all that interested in processing with me. So what did I do? I did what was definitely a, a facet of underwatering was I, I, I made somebody else, my mm-hmm. person, not, mm-hmm. not in an infidelity kind of way. Actually, right. I just became close with my best friend. So whenever something would happen and my partner seemed disinterested in hearing about it, I would call up my best friend and say, guess what, guess what? And then she would talk with me and then I would talk. And then, and then it became, you know, to the point where, you know, my partner didn't want to necessarily hang out and spend some time together. So here I am sitting on a Friday night, call my best friend, let's go to a movie. So I had a new go-to person. And the more I invested in my go-to person, the less I was investing in my relationship. And it was a sort of a vicious cycle, right? Because my, my lack of that connection in the relationship led to a connection with someone else. And the connection with someone else led to the lack of connection in my relationship. And again, to be clear, there was, it was not a romantic connection. It was not, you know, anything like cheating. It was just simply, I invested my time, my energy, and my thoughts and feelings by sharing them with someone who I felt you know, really was interested in hearing those. And that, that was, you know, it could be dangerous. It could be a slippery slope that could, you know. Yes. And while you're talking, okay, these are the two things that are coming to mind that I have to get out of my head. Like there, these are different things for, I think, same sex relationships and, and opposite sex relationships. Right. Because I think a lot of opposite sex relationship women have their close women friends. They're, the men in those relationships don't actually really seek outside, you know, emotional support, but women do, right? Girls' night, let's go out for girls' night. And for same sex, especially, you know, two women, a lesbian relationship, that can be, that can be a really slippery slope, but you also need it. Um, you need to talk to someone. Well, okay, external processors like us need to talk to someone. And I was married to a person that kind of similar to yours. After a while, they just tune out and don't want to hear what you have to say. And we do talk excessively. Thank God for this podcast forum, right? (laughs) That's the thing, though. Like, here's another issue. And I want to do a whole podcast on this. Should introverts and extroverts be together or not? And can, if they are, can the extrovert have somebody who can talk and externally process everything with them, right? I mean, was it a fault or flaw of the relationship? Did that relationship fall apart because you were underwatering or is it because that person didn't really want, they didn't want the water, you know, they right. were happy with their book or whatever the introverts like to do. I don't, I still haven't figured that out. I think we should have, we should interview some introverts on the show, you know, absolutely. because we have to be very clear that we are coming from an extroverted, you know, uh, viewpoint. And the reality is, is that relationship was with an introvert and it was really wonderful. It was very symbiotic for a a long, long time, but, 
but you're right. My need to excessively process is, is overwhelming to an introvert. And so right. seeking out someone who liked to receive that made it really easy. But I, I do like the point that you're bringing up on who is that go-to person? Is it somebody that you could be romantically attracted to, you know, whatever kind of, you know, however you identify with gender identity, you know, whether, you know, it's, you know, non-binary trans or, you know, same sex or whatever it is that you want to identify. The fact is, is that go-to person, someone that you could potentially have a romantic intimate relationship with and does that create some complexity with that person being your go-to person and you know I, my my answer would probably be yes it does throw in another layer of complexity um does it mean that it's not you know not okay i mean at this point in time in my life it's interesting because i know tracy you have deemed me the um the lesbian docent of Tucson. Now, for those of you out there who have no idea what that means, it's that basically anyone who moves to Tucson that I've come across that is, you know, just came here or maybe just out or just getting connected with the community and doesn't really know people. I am the first one over there getting their phone number, inviting them to go on a hike or do something. And I'm constantly keeping them in the loop. I'm this docent. So I'm like bringing right. people in and that's the kind of the joke. But because of that, I, I have just slews of friends, but they're all friends that, that in, you know, given my sexual orientation, I could feasibly be attracted to and date. Um, and so that also creates a weird situation where if any one of these people stepped into that go-to role, how might that affect my current relationship? And, and that's, uh, that's a really great question. Where are those boundaries? And how can I make sure that I'm not underwatering the garden of my relationship because I'm actually watering 20 people's gardens that just moved to Tucson and need a friend? Well, and you are that person. I'm also that person. And I was married to someone who had been in a, you know, opposite sex relationship for over 25 years before being in the relationship with me. And when we were living this suburban life and I was bored, she would say, oh, go out and make some lesbian friends. And I'm like, no, I can't because it, you won't like it because these mm -hmm. same sex relationships can be very close and it will seem threatening to you. I've told you, Corey, had I met you while I was still married, that would have been problematic, not because we're attracted to each other because we're not. And we never have been since we met. And as you say, we never will be. <laughs> <laughs> we've done a check-in and we've never been attracted to each other, even though a person has told us we were married in a previous life. And maybe that's why, you know, that right. could be the reason. But if I was married, I would not have the same relationship with you that I have now. And we established this relationship, this close relationship, this excessive processing relationship prior to entering other relationships. So, you know, there's also the question of, is that a pre-existing relation, you know, the, the, the person that you're going to, are they pre-existing your relationship, right? Or is this somebody you meet once you're in an, if you're in an established relationship and you suddenly meet someone that you're like, Oh, I want to process everything with them. That can be very threatening. Right. right. I mean, and rightfully so. I think that's, you have to be really upfront and honest and communicate with your other partner. But if you're an extrovert with an introvert, I think that that's another whole episode that we're going to have to talk about that. Like each person needs to understand the other, right? The introvert mm -hmm. may want to sit at home and read the book that they love and the expert wants to talk and talk. And so can that extrovert go out and get that from somewhere else? You know, because extroverts cannot just sit on the couch and read. It's not no. in our nature. And I think the big question is, you know, it, is it threatening to that relationship? But, but even going back to our original topic, 
is that investment in that person that the extrovert is processing with over and over, does that pull away from the watering the garden of the, the other relationship? Does it become like you get great news and the first person you want to share it with is your friend and not your partner? What is that? That's a problem. Yeah. Right. I think, right. If you share it with your partner, even if, you know, you just send a text or something and say, Hey, do you have time to talk? Or this great thing happened. You've shared it. And then you can go on and share it with others. But I do think in a relationship, that kind of sharing, at least in a text should be shared with the partner first to keep them as a priority. Right. Right, right. Keep them feeling like they're in the loop that you are, you are prioritizing or caring about them and and how they feel. And and then a whole other episode is like, what if you're not getting the satisfaction that you need, a response that you need? And again, I think I don't know if I made this point in the first episode. Nothing is wrong. I mean, we're not talking about abuse or anything, but. I have certain needs and a partner has certain needs and they may be totally different. That's how my marriage of eight years was. Doesn't make mine wrong. Doesn't make her needs wrong. They're just different. And sometimes those just don't jive, you know, even if you've tried for a long time. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's, let's kind of talk a little bit more about um, a, a little bit more about underwatering the garden and then let's get into overwatering the garden. Cause it doesn't sound like that's even possible, but the last part about underwatering the garden, and I think it really ties into what we've been talking about is this idea of, you know, the, the slowing down or complete lack of physical intimacy, um, you know, at, at some point, you know, people will call it like bed death or, or, you know, they're, or they'll schedule, you know, some type of intimate, you know, activity, you know, once a week, once a month, whatever it is. And, you know, that's again, being intentional. That's great. Um, but you know, we know that you know, physical connection can enhance emotional connection and vice versa. And so how can you make sure to keep that physical intimacy alive? And I will tell you in one of my relationships, I mean, the physical intimacy died so quickly. Again, it was back to like being roommates. And I did remember this one thing is, you know, one of the things that we committed to in that relationship was every night we would go to bed, we would go to bed holding hands. And so pretty much every single night of that relationship, we held hands and fell asleep. But I remember thinking to myself, it feels like I'm just kind of holding some random person's hand like this. There's no, no connection here. There's no intimacy with this. It's just a physical act and it didn't bring us closer. And so instead of, instead of saying, wait a minute, I don't feel connected through this physical touch. Instead of doing that, I said to myself, but we're holding hands at night. So it must not be that bad. Right. And, and that was the part where I convinced myself that that was enough physical intimacy to sustain a long-term relationship in which it wasn't. And that was definitely, definitely underwatering the garden. Well, that's interesting. I haven't, I don't think I've really had that problem, but except in my marriage, when we got a sickly chihuahua, okay, he was a puppy. (laughs) And unfortunately he passed at 18 months and he slept between us. And that pretty much, well, with his little urinary tract and then, drooling problems and then viciousness upon being woken up, you know, we ended up very, very far apart in a king size bed. And I do think that that was like the beginning of the end, you know, so get yourself a bassinet, get yourself one of those beds for the baby that's (laughs) off the side of the bed. And I really feel that that's important. Now I just like a queen size bed and that's it. I mean, I, there's only one particular person I want in there, but you know, that's, that's the size I want. You know, 
Yep. Yep. Well, and you think about it when you have like, you know, three dogs and six cats and everything yeah. that is climbing no. all of you. No. I mean, there are some barriers to physical intimacy. Right. Well, let's look a little bit at overwatering the garden. Like I said before, it's kind of hard to imagine that overwatering the garden could be problematic, right? Like who right. doesn't want to show up every day and hundred percent and give love to their partner? Like, how is that? How is there a downside to that? And so, but there, you know, when we've talked about it and we've thought about it, there is, because I'll say coming off of the relationship that I came off of, which was very good for a very long time, the underwatering the garden relationship was one particular one coming out of that relationship. I swore to myself that I would never underwater the garden again, or in my case, just literally walk away from the garden and, and let it or die. feel underwatered yourself. Right. Right. Didn't you feel you, it's not just you that was underwatering. You felt underwatered. Exactly. The whole relationship was just underwatered. And so I said, at least for what I can control, my part of it is I am going to just, I'm going to just saturate this garden. I am going to just show up like nobody believes it. Like, and so what I ended up doing was I made my person, my, my whole world. Um, I, I told her every single detail. She was the first person I told everything to, we did everything together. And while we didn't, we weren't nesting and hiding and cut off our friends, we would always do things together. So if I had a friend who said, do you want to go out and say, yep. And then I would say, oh yeah, I'm going to bring so-and-so. And right. I, I mean, we problem. and it wasn't a codependent kind of thing. It was just that I was so focused on making sure that we were connected at all times that I I invested so much and got so deep into what felt like quick, the quicksand of the relationship where if she wasn't available, who would I tell something to, or who would I do something with? Because she was my entire world. And that well, was problematic. I, that just reminded me of story. Cause earlier I said, I didn't know of any of these things, but my friends, when I used to live in Seattle, my lady friends would be like, let's go out. And I'd be like, great. And then they'd be like, invite Lisa, who's, you know, one of my now best friends, we were together for eight years. And I was like, what? I don't want to invite Lisa because I wanted to go out with my girlfriends. Right. But they considered my girlfriend to be part of the girl club. And I was like, that's not fair. You know, your husbands aren't coming. I don't want my girlfriend to come. Like I need some time. That's me time with my friends. And I think, you know, again, that's same sex versus opposite sex relationships, you know, and we have to be cognizant of that. You're the person you're dating can't be with you all the time. Exactly. And it's really easy to, I mean, when I was dating this person, we had, most of our friends were single at the time, you know, of course, all women, all lesbians. And it was like, well, we're all going to go out and do whatever it was. And it was like the idea of like leaving her home for our, our mutual friends or her leaving me home. Right. Seems silly because that was also our group of friends, but it became that we were just sort of attached to the the hip the whole time and had very little one-on-one time. And, and that, um, you know, that was kind of an overcompensation of what I felt like happened in my last relationship, which was, we never spent any time together at all. Um, and, and so, you know, this overspending can be just as problematic. Well, that's hard to navigate when you're, they got all the same friends, right? Because yeah. yeah, my feelings would be hurt if like my friends were going out with my partner and I was being left home. So I think that's, that is very difficult. And, and again, requires communication to discuss, like, what do we need to do? What is healthy, right? What are the healthy mm-hmm. ways to conduct this relationship? But when you talk about overwatering, you're also talking about somebody being able to give a ton of attention. That's probably extraordinary in its, you know, scope. 
Right? Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the love notes and the tell me all about your day and the dropping everything for you. And, you know, th- this is really, you know, this is like the honeymoon stage on steroids. It's, it's a lot and it's excellent. Like, right. I mean, having come out of a relationship that just felt absent of these things, I went into a relationship where this, this love was just overwhelming in a, in a very positive way, mm-hmm. just the amount of attention. And then I turned around and I would do the same thing. It was love notes or scavenger hunts or whiskey away on weekend getaways all the time for years and years. I mean, you would think that is the most amazing, you know, kind of relationship. Was it, it amazing or did it get exhausting? It can, well, it, that's what I was going to say. It got really exhausting trying to figure out like, what would we do next? And mm-hmm. how would we, you know, top the last really great thing we did for each other. And it created an unrealistic expectation between the two of us to keep up that standard. Mm-hmm. And then once I got out of that relationship, anything less than that extraordinary, overwhelming amount of love and attention um, has seemed like, oh, well, are you not that into me? When in reality, it's like, that's the appropriate amount of attention. It's like, but I mean, you know, again, you you know, as a listener, you're probably thinking, I I would never get tired of that. I I think that that's great. I want love poems every day. But the question is like, do you, do you really want a love poem every day? Well, and can you do that? Right. And can most people do that? Again, I do think that that's something that's to be discussed between the two people and say like, Hey, are we doing too much? You know, should we chill a little bit or maybe it worked? I mean, you're a person who has a lot of energy yourself, right? Probably more than most people I've ever met. (laughs) Perhaps I could write the most, (laughs) I could write a love poem every week, right? Maybe, but it also gets to the point where if you're doing all these things, you come to expect them and then they're not as special as they could be. So is it, you know, is it really that you're showing love over and over and over and over and over again? Or is it that, you know, it just gets to the point where it's just exhausting and it's like, wow, okay, great. Yeah. Thanks for the love note. And I don't, you know, but but, but how about this? How about maybe that relationship was great and it was good for that time. But then when that relationship ended, you have to shift your understanding of what an average person can do, or, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know that it's necessarily bad, right? It's, it's what do the people like in that relationship, but then managing your expectations in the next relationship. Right. Right. Well, for that even, person's personality and managing them in the existing relationship too, because right. while it was really great to be in some ways overwatered, sometimes it was a pressure on me to overwater back and it, there was a lot there. So, you know, while there are definitely some good things, I'm never one to say that you can't say, I love you too much. Like I I would never say that, like, but at the same time, some of these extraordinary jumbotron announcements and skywriter things, they can, they can get, um, they can be a lot. Um, and, and because of that, what can, you know, potentially end up is that, you, you know, for me, it's, this notion of being so connected, right? This person's my primary person, my whole world there, you know, we're, you know, kind of love notes and love letters every day and all these things. And then it's much harder to kind of step back without those rose colored glasses on and say, what's really going on in this relationship, assess it for what it is. And then maybe put it, you know, you know, if it isn't meeting needs in other areas saying like, you know, I need to check in with this or maybe even not even be in this relationship anymore. Right. Um, you know, this, this, if you want to use the metaphor, it's a garden that's not growing what I want it to grow anymore. But it's you know? like vines growing everywhere, like kudzu in the South. Yeah. And right? so, I mean, is that what eating you up want, everything? Right? right. And for me, I ended up staying too long in a relationship 
that it was hard for me to see what was really going on and some of the issues we were having underneath it all because this person was my everything and it was just kind of like love abound and like just so much excitement and energy and whisking and wooing and it it became hard to get out of that because I couldn't see the relationship for what it was and so that overwatering can also make it hard sometimes to see the underlying truth um, and and for me that was what I experienced well. I haven't never really experienced that, but what I have experienced are friends who kind of disappear into a relationship. Everybody knows them. They get into a relationship and they're gone. They're gone for months and months and months until they come out of that honeymoon phase. And I have been very cognizant to never be that person. Like my friendships are so important to me. And I think that that's a real danger. Like don't be that person that just jumps into the relationship and disappears, you know? Because right. then you're underwatering your friendships. And how many times can the friends just be out there, you know, waiting for you to come back? Right. Yep. Well, there's always those friends, right? You've got, the, I've, I've had a couple of friends who like, I always know when they're single because they're calling me and texting me all the time. And then a few months, six months, a year, I hardly hear from them. And then all of a sudden I start hearing from them again and they're right. back. And then it's, it, you know, that's, that's a lot. So you're right. So the balance isn't just within the relationship. It's across all your relationships, because as you're, you know, maybe overwatering one, you're underwatering another at that expense. So certainly ebbing and flowing. Yeah. Well, bringing us to our ever love topic of balance, right? Right. Right. Balance. I think that that's the key in everything balance and communication. And, you know, I like to use hiking analogies. So overtraining, right? You want to go for a big hike. We just did a big back-to-back rim-to-rim in the Grand Canyon. So up and down, up, no, down and then up, and then down and then up, you know, with one overnight. And we trained beforehand. And we kind of laid off our training a little bit the week before. And, I, you know, some people had asked me, well, you're not doing very long training hikes. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm not because I don't want to get hurt before I do this. A lot of it is just mental, right? So I'm preparing mentally and physically because I need that balance. And I don't want to overtrain and I don't want to undertrain. And I think that that's the same thing about relationships. You don't want to overwater. You don't want to underwater. I think a friend of ours was talking about that. She called it the Arizona drip system. I'm pretty sure there are drip (laughs) systems all over the country, but you have those little irrigation things that pop out of the ground and they just drip, 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 right? Mm -hmm. That, okay, I can go for that, but I also want a little bit more. So maybe I'd turn my drip up so the drips I get are a little bigger. And, And not everybody needs that, right? Right. Well, and it goes back to what you said before is really making sure that you are in connection with your partner, with your friend, whoever you're in a relationship with and say, what is it you need? What is it I need? It may be that one person wants some overwatering and some want some underwater. It, it, I mean, that's the preference of it all. But I think really looking at it through the lens of this metaphor and looking at balance is to say, how do you show up and does it work for you? What are the pros and cons of it? And I think for me, I've learned a lot about this through two relationships that were incredibly different, one in which I overcompensated for the other. And so now I'm looking for something to be a little bit more balanced. And I'm find that, wait a minute, there are elements of overwatering that that I do like that did work for me or elements of underwatering. But the reality is, is you need to just be able to figure out what that balance is for you and what that balance is for your partner. Exactly. And I think, you know, you brought up love languages before and 
we can delve into this, I think, in much more detail in, in, you know, future podcasts, but, you know, what are they? There's five of them or something like that. Words there are of five. Yep. You want to list them or you want me to? Sure. Uh, well, this, you know, given that I, this fun, I get to teach this stuff, right? I get paid for a living to be a professor of this, which is pretty cool. So I get to teach this in class. But one of the things um, we talk about is love languages is how, how do you show affection, appreciation, and love for other people? And so, and how do you like to have it? Um, so, you know, words of affirmation are, are not, you know, kind words. So it compliments, or it could be, it could be in written format, poems, notes, or cards, um, physical touch. And again, that might be something as much as romantic intimacy, or it could just be a hug when you see a friend. I had actually a friend of mine, <laughs> it was my best friend. It was my go-to person and she was a big hugger. And I, I wasn't a very big hugger at the time. And there was a, a, a function we would go to that was um, a retreat every year. And it was, you know, we'd have this like one intimate like night where everybody like, you know, shared all their stuff about themselves. And, and then they would hug afterwards and she would come running over to me and go, this is my annual hug you have to give me a hug. And I'm like, okay, you get your hug. And so for her physical touch was really important. Um, acts of service, you know, this idea, if you love me, you'll take out the trash, like show mm -hmm. me that you love me by doing something, you know, that, that, you know, takes a burden off of me. Um, gifts. Uh, my, one of my exes was her love language was gifts. She liked receiving them and she liked giving them. And for me, that's my last one. Uh, I don't really like that. So she's like, if you love me, you'll buy me a new espresso machine. And I'm like, well, you know, if you love me, then you'll make me coffee on the espresso machine, my acts of service. Mm -hmm. um, and then quality time, spending time with that person, um, doing whatever it is that you, you know, both, both enjoy. Um, but, you know, the, the interesting part about these is that we tend to give the love language that we like to receive. So for me, acts of service is really easy because, you know, I'll cook dinner or I'll, you know, I'll clean up the house or whatever it might be. And then, you know, my partner's like, but hold on a second. Like you, you, I just want to sit down and spend time with you, or just, can you, you know, say something nice to me? And right. I'm like, oh yeah. I was just, I was so busy, like going through the recycling bin, thought that would help you. She's like, well, that doesn't really help me. Do um, you think that people can have more than one, or do you think they should rank them? Like, should you sit down and rank them? And then when you get in a relationship, say, Hey, yo, these are what I want. I want it in this order. These are, these are the things that I value. I mean, I think these are really important to, to go through. And I have not always been the best at respecting that because like you, I don't care about gifts and I really, you know, being a minimalist, it's the last thing I want. Right. But I've been with somebody who did like those things, but to me, it was kind of a, mm, I don't know, I'd say a moral issue, but like, Oh, very uncomfortable. Right. I, I don't want to spend money. I don't want to buy things that aren't important, but they were important to that person. You know, right. it's the giving of the gift. That's important mm -hmm. to the person. Right. That was like the overwatering the garden. One of the ways that, that, that person that I was in the relationship with would overwater my garden was giving me gifts all the time, mm -hmm. all the time, that expensive, would, right. extravagant gifts. And it was like, I either felt compelled to also return the favor and mm -hmm. give the gifts mm -hmm. back or not accept the gifts, or I wasn't sure what to do with them. And they weren't to me. That's my, my number five on my list of the, the love languages. I, it didn't really, to me, that wasn't a form of affection. 
Um, you know, even though that it was probably coming from that place uh, from that person. But I think to right. go back and answer your question is, you know, there's a lot of great resources out there on love languages. We'll post a, we'll post some links in the show notes, um, particularly some books. There's some online uh, self-assessments that people can take to find out what are their most prominent uh, love languages. There's people who have one clear one. You could have two, you could have three, you could have four very strong ones and have a fifth that just doesn't resonate with you. Um, for me, it's acts of service, but over the last probably four or five years, quality time has creeped up there. Um, I would probably say that's given acts of service a run for its money. Um, you know, I, while I do like words of affirmation and physical touch, um, I'm not a huge fan of gifts. So I'm aware of these things, but, you know, sitting down with, again, with your partner and figuring out what is it that they like and what is it that they don't? Because if you're doing one of these things and you're giving a lot of it, it might feel like overwatering the garden for them. Or if you're not giving enough of one of these things, it might feel like underwatering the garden for them. Exactly. I'm going to go for uh, words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service and quality time. And I'm just going to leave the gifts off. So I figured that out. Thank you, Corey. (laughs) Now I know. Now I know what I like and what I'm going to go forward with. Okay, good. So you want if, if I ever decide to date another person in my life. So like, so like, this is what you would want. You would want someone to write you a love poem while giving you a hug. Well, they've got a bag of trash in their hand, ready to go outside and say, when I'm back, we'll sit for two hours, just looking into each other's eyes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But we're not just going to look into each other's eyes. We're going to talk because I cannot do that. (laughs) Boring, boring. We need to do a little more. I need a little more activity, you know, external processing. Yeah, exactly. And that's another thing. Activity. That's a whole nother podcast about activity levels, but I think the next podcast we're going to talk about is communication, right? My favorite subject. Exactly. Right. Favorite subject. You know, and I know there's a lot to cover in communication. I was a communication major in college and I study, you know, I teach communication, uh, interpersonal skills uh, in my job now. And, you know, they're certainly worthy of more than 30 minutes of talking about communication. But I I think that there's some pieces that will weave in to just give us kind of a broad view of communication. And then we'll be able to break it down into much smaller pieces as we go through further episodes. But um, I I know this is an important top of your mind as we go through the eight different learning, you know, key learning pieces that we've had in our relationships. Uh, Each of us shared four of them in our first episode. So, you know, my first one was watering the garden and Tracy, your first one was appreciative communication or just communication, productive communication. And so we're going to go through each of these. That's going to kind of frame the next eight episodes. So we're looking forward to having you tune in. Like I said before, in the show notes, you'll be able to get some great information about some of the things we talked about today. And again, we appreciate you being on the, on the line with us and uh, thanks so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, check out our show notes for resources from today's episode. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram under rock that relationship and go to our website at rockthatrelationship.com for updated episodes and more great information. Thanks for listening. Now go rock those relationships.